what we discussed last time was the way of Musa. And we said that a person essentially functions not based on his conscious, but on his subconscious. And therefore, you don't really choose on a conscious level your behavior. It's almost dictated by deeper forces within you. As a result, what we said, these people behave in certain ways and every single thing that we do has meaning and has intention behind it. But often we're completely unaware of that meaning and that intention. We don't see our own what's called biases, deeper desires, etc. A few of examples of this are people continually forget certain things. Whenever you forget something, be it known to you all that you haven't forgotten it, you've chosen not to remember it. Not on the conscious level, on the subconscious level. If you see that there's something that you repeatedly don't do, don't do, because you keep on forgetting about it, you can be sure that that is something you do not want to do. If you see that there's something that you keep on pushing off, pushing off, pushing off, you can be sure that that's something you don't want to do. If you see that there's a class that you consistently come late to, it means you don't want to be in that class. All these things <coughs> are indi- indicators that a person doesn't realize, but you avoid things you don't want to do, and you're drawn towards things that you do do. And therefore, if you see that there's something that you do consistently, it means that that thing has a real connection to you on a deeper level. If it's consistent, and the more consistent it is, so the deeper the connection. So, since a person functions in the world of koiches, which are invisible, he's trapped because he can't see them. And how do you work them? I can work my conscious koiches, but I can't work my unconscious koiches. My unconscious powers. And really, those are the things which make all the difference in life. And those are the things which are the most powerful. And those are the things which drive us in everything we do. Ravalbi says a very scary thing. He says, a person is governed by different returns, by wills and desires. And they are so strong, and they are so facilitated by the Ashkocha, that in the direction you want to go, so too you will be led. Which means, if you stand at the end of your life, what you've achieved in your life is your essential rotsun. That's what you want. So a person that stands at the end of his life, and let's say he's a ben Torah, but when he's at the age of 70, really he, he's always wanted, he's always wanted to learn more, he's always wanted to dive in a better minion, he's always wanted to spend more time with his family, he's always wanted to grow more as a Jew, and unfortunately at the end of his life, he sees that he never had time because he was so hard keeping his business, worked so hard keeping his business going and he worked so hard that he never really had time to dive in a good minion or learn and then you know, no he didn't want to spend time with his family, no he didn't want to learn more, no he didn't want to dive in a good minion, he wanted to make his business big because had he wanted those things he would have done them. There's a particular Rav I know that whenever I see him he said, I said, he always complains to me, he says, it's really tough. I said, why is it so tough? He said, all I want to do is teach. And all I spend my time doing is fundraising. So I didn't want to say to him, but the truth is, it's not true. All you want to do is fundraise. Because if you wanted to teach, you'd be teaching. Whatever you do is what you want to do. You don't do things that you don't want to do. What do you mean? But the truth is, he, he's not lying to me. He says to me, and he enjoys teaching. You're 100% right. But let's think about it. If you enjoy teaching so much, so this is not the only job in the world. 
There are other jobs. You're a talented teacher? For sure. You've got a lot of knowledge? Unbelievable. So let me ask you a question. If teaching is so vital to you, so then you'd say, I'll do anything to teach. And you'd go find yourself a job in a different city where you, or in the same city that could facilitate that. You'd arrange things that you could... Why aren't you doing that? Must be, because even though you do want to teach, but your desire to make money in fundraising is much stronger than that. It's not a bad thing. It means you want to build the community through doing that. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying, but don't tell me that you want to teach because you want to fundraise more. Whatever you land up doing, that's what you want to do. You following me? And therefore, since, since the want operates on the, below the conscious, below our radar, so we often, we often don't identify it, and we come and we say, but you know what, if I had a choice, I would. Rubbish, shake every hell. If you had a choice, you'd do what you wanted to do. Luke. So if we're saying then, he, what if he's like a good teacher, and he might enjoy teaching, but he's a better fundraiser then? So his place not might not be in the classroom. His place might agree, be hundred percent, like 100%. actually raising money so others. Absolutely, I'm not saying that he's doing what's wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying when he says I'd rather be teaching, he's lying to himself. Yeah, he wouldn't rather be teaching. He'd rather be fundraising. Mm-hmm. So if I could give him aid, which I'm in no position to do, and I'm sure I'm doubly guilty of a trillion worse things, I would say to him, embrace it, make the most of it, because that's what you're actually doing. That's what you're choosing. No person chooses to do what they don't want to do. Michael. So it seems like it's not really what you, what you want to do or you don't want to do. Whatever you're, you're focusing your time on... Is what you want to do. It's, it reveals what your ikarotson is. That reveals and, what you want to and do. And the, more, of, the more, of a, more awareness you have of what you are doing should be an indication of what you really want to do. Right. Now this is where the tricky thing comes in. The tricky thing is sometimes there's different levels and different... The inner person's wants and desires a person has a hierarchy. So there are certain things that you want to do on a very base level, and there are certain other things that you want to do on a much more lofty level. So say for example, a person on the one level just wants to make it big in the world of business. And another level, he wants to make it big in the world of Torah. But the desire to make it big in the world of business is a lower desire. It's a lower desire. And the want to make it big in the world of Torah is a higher desire. Now, let's say the desire to make it big in the world of business is um, more powerful, and as a result, he compromises his learning to do that. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now, if you set him down and say to him, but what do you, when you think about it, when you think about it, without acting on gut, when you think about it and you process it consciously, where would you more be more deeply fulfilled in spending your time? Where would you feel that you'd be spent your time better? What would you rather do? He'll say, much, much rather I would cut down on business time, spend more time engaged in learning and davening and his brothers and connecting to the great, etc. So then you say, is that what you really want to do? That's what I really want to do. So then you can say, okay, well if you really want to do it, let's start working with that. In other words, what I'm trying to say is a person <coughs> commits suicide to his ideals by following his desires. A person at the end of his life, when he realizes he was actually almost, in a certain sense, tricked into investing in life in areas that he didn't, on another level, want to at all. Do you understand? That's ambiguity. On the one hand, I do. Whatever you do is what you want. On the other hand, on the other hand, if I speak to you and I address your dice, you don't want that at all. So you have to consciously be in it and make so it now you see that the struggle of life is to understand where your desires are driving you and put your conscious value system 
as the ultimate desire that will drive you in the direction that your mind wants to go, not what your midas want to go. Daniel. So, so, okay, Robert, I I want to play golf. So you're not always going to do what you really want to do. No, no. So you really want to. It means that the desire to the desire to play to go to the home center was stronger than the desire to play golf. But not necessarily, though. Necessarily. Because what's the whole thing about overcoming your yaitzah? Overcoming yaitzah horror means that you take one desire and you incorporate a value in the level of desire that's stronger. In other words, if you wanted, if you knew it was the right thing to help at the homeless shelter, and you wanted to play golf, you would play golf. If you wanted to help at the homeless shelter, but you also wanted to play golf, but you wanted more to help at the homeless shelter than you land up in the homeless uh, shelter. I don't know, that's that's mutually exclusive yeah. though. You want you an honor, that's why you What, want you can play golf at the homeless shelter? No. <laughs> <laughs> that cover, uh, overcoming yeah. your Yetzirah and your, your will mm-hmm. is in line with overcoming mm-hmm. your Yetzirah and going to do something well. Or going to do something more fulfilling. So you, want, you, want, you don't want to, you want to, you want to play golf, it's just not so much you want to, play, you want to help at the homeless shelter, you want to play golf. Once you want to do something right, then you want to play golf. That way, you drive to do something better. You drive to do the right thing. It's better than to want to play golf. Okay, so, so now we're coming to great. So now let's 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 sugify this. Sugify. Sugify means let's let's try find the the parameters that it works according to. Let's try and look at the structure. So let's say there's there's two ways you can you can fight the struggle of uh, golf versus homeless shelter, right? Maybe we'll just spend some time just speaking about the beauty of the game of golf and how important it is that people should take very small balls and hit them into the air in the ultimate hope of getting them into a very small hole. I think, I th- first of all, I think that, 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 that's, that's a valuable use of time. But let's, uh, <laughs> let's say... They said sports were off on here. No, on the contrary, that was sports until we came to golf. Uh, golf's not a sport. Golf involves tactics, involves judging the wind so you can make sure that the ball gets into a very small hole. I mean, after all, imagine a ball in a hole. It's just the thought is surely magnificent. So... So you miniaturize it and that So you've got on the one hand, you could fight the struggle in one of two ways. The first way of fighting the struggle is I've got a desire to play, play golf. I know it's the right thing to go to the homeless center. I'm going to go to the homeless center. And when you go to the homeless center, your feeling is, I'm doing this because I have to. And if I said to you, in your heart of hearts, where would you rather be? You say, I'd rather be on the golf course. So then why are you here? Because I know it's the right thing to do. Yes? So let's call that, that's called the yira, the awe, the fear, the, the responsibility of knowing what's right overcomes the desire to do something which you don't think is as right or is not right. Level one. Level two, you've got a conflict. Should I help at the homeless center, should I play golf? You say, do you know what? Helping at the homeless center is the right thing to do. And you get there and you say, I would, mu- I would have nothing rather than being here at this point in time. It way outweighs the golf. Now, those two levels of struggle, one is called Kavisha Sayetze, which can be sometimes con- con- translated as conquering the Yetze, but the actual word Kovesh means to hold down. The Yetze is there, the desire is there, but you just keep him at bay. 
and the other one is called tikkun hayetzer. They actually rectify. In other words, one is the desire remains in place, but you override it with your knowledge, and the other one is you replace the desire for this for the desire for that. In our avodas Hashem, we try to aim for the latter, because the first one isn't really solid. Because as long as the desire is awake, so then your yira has to be extremely strong to keep it at bay. But ava, love, translates it into desire. And the commandment every day we recite is And Rashi says, why should you do things because of love? Because he says, if you do them because of fear, when things get tough, you say, that's it, I'm not doing this anymore. So what happens is in your golf analogy, what could easily happen is you say, you know what, it's the right thing to go to the homeless center and then spend my Sunday at the homeless center. And then you come back to the homeless center and you, always, you want to be in the golf course and then you meet your friends. And you say, they say, how's your day? They say, great. You say, you have no idea. I played a shot on the ninth hole. And you say, no, tell me about it. Did you use one of those big sticks and hit a small ball? Said, yes, I used a big... <laughs> but you know what? And you say, what? It's all in the hips. It's all in the hips. Tuck, it's all in the hips. Yeah. And, I go, and, and then it was going... All, and then the wind factor. You say, no, not the wind factor. The wind factor made that little ball go, yeah. And, and did you get in the hole? And say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. And you get, and then you, then you think, oh my gosh, I can't believe it, I can't believe it, I can't believe it. And then the next week you go to the home center, but, oh gosh, and then you think about the small ball and the wind and the little hole, and you get really, really excited, you know, like, why do you like helping people, like, fix up their lives? You think about the little ball and the hole and the big green grass. And then, you know, and you're so, so bitter because you, all you're doing is helping people become human. And then it just, it just wears away at you, it wears away at you, and it wears away, it wears away, until eventually you say, I just can't do it anymore, that's it, that's it. And you give up the people and their lives and you go back to the luscious greens. And you take that stick and then you hit the ball. And that's deep and meaningful, I'm saying. I don't want to cast a shot at it. I'm just saying, I'm saying. People, people use their time wisely. Okay, so, so that's actually a nunakuda. That, that sometimes year is enough to hold it at bay, but it doesn't, it doesn't get rid of the problem, it's treating the symptoms. It's like the whole thing about knowing something and feeling something. It's like when you really have a desire for it, then it, 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 it goes into the world in a minute. That's called the tikkun. In other words, that, that your experience of it becomes gishmak. Same thing with anything in Yiddishkeit. You know, you can go to Davening because you have to. When you go to Davening because you have to, then I have to be here. But it's not the same feeling as when you rush to Davening. And Titis and Tfilin and 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 Misha. So you're presupposing that human actions are driven by our wants and desires, but what about needs? Can we just do something because you need to do it? Like I want to learn tomorrow all day long, but at some point I need to make some money and get a job. Uh, I don't do that because I want uh, to make money, but I need it for my survival. Okay, so now let's go through. Every desire, pretty much in the lexicon of desires, has a point of necessity attached to it. You can speak about the desire for food, but if you don't need to die. You can spe- speak for the desire for sexual immorality, but if you don't progenerate, so the world comes to an end. You can, you can speak about the desire for um, money, 
but if you don't have a parnasa, so then you can't live. So any any desire that you have has a place where that desire is a necessity. So the question is not to obliterate, but rather to contextualize. And the point is, you don't want the desire to to go to the point where it crosses a line of necessity to lack of necessity. So for example, you have to eat. If you don't have people who don't have appetites are in danger of dying. See people get older and they lose their appetite. They have to be fed because otherwise they'll literally starve to death. So you see that desire is a necessary thing. But does that mean you have to have another brownie? I'm saying the brownies are good. <laughs> but the truth is do you have to have another brownie at the end of Shabbos is still fresh in our minds? So you have the khala and you're pretty full. And you have the fish and you're full. But the problem is the fish is located just before the soup. So now you're squeezing the soup, alright, it's liquid. And you do a bit of khala as well. But now you're full. But the problem is the khala, the fish and the soup are just preludes to the main course. So now you have to find a means of getting in the main course. You, you hear what I'm saying, Mike? Oh yeah. Not, and then you have to find a place for the main course and then and then the truth is you have to like yeah, you have to start undoing belts and the like. And then the truth is after the main course you have to have a, a break because there has to be a way of getting the dessert in. It has to. It has to find some way. And luckily luckily most desserts are, may, most desserts are soft and they don't take up that much stomach room, so you're pretty much okay. Do you understand? In other words, so, so what I'm not talking about, in other words, the necessity of vadai, that, that, that's, that's what we have to do, a person, a person has to live, you have to, you have to take out of life what is necessary for completion and continuation, but the minute it spills over, so then it becomes self-destructive. So what we're speaking about is the point beyond the necessity, when you have a desire which pushes you way, way beyond what's normally required. Um, David. I'm trying to understand, and maybe I didn't understand it, but from what I got, nobody does anything unless they want to do it. Absolutely. Nothing. Even if it seems like you're okay. doing it and you don't want to do it, you're saying, no, if you're doing it, you want to do it. Somebody complains, I'm working at Walmart, and I have to work at Walmart 15 hours a day, and I'm making nothing, but I have to do it. You will say, no, you want to. For sure. But we did make a we did make a possible, let's say, in our understanding of how the sugya works, an exception that there's something called an act of yira, an act of awe where responsibility, where where you do something, even though you want to do something else, you override the want to act according to your inner knowledge of what's the right thing to do. That's called yira. But that's a completely unnatural movement in being. It's not natural at all. But sometimes, sometimes, sometimes in growth, you feel like the Ezra is just drilling away at the foundations. <laughs> <laughs> How can you escape it? Yo, sure. Uh, are you against the idea of uh, the concept of lo lishma, 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 lo l
that if a person does things for the wrong reasons, he can ultimately come to do them for the right reasons. So first of all, that, that in itself is, is, is not so simple in terms of that it's, it's, it's completely universal. And that a person that starts off learning Torah because he wants to become a millionaire, so he's got two problems. First of all, how that will make him a millionaire, I don't know. But even if it would, so the, the assumption is that he'll start off learning because he wants the money, but ultimately he'll end up learning because he wants the Torah. So, it's the Bale Musa point out, it's only, and it's much more complicated than the simple explanation I'm about to give you, it's only when you want to learn Torah. You want to learn Torah. Why do you learn Torah? Because it's the right thing to do. Why? Because it's the ultimate way of connecting to Hashem, etc., 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 etc. Good. But you don't have the motivation. But what you do have the motivation for is money. Ah. Boodle. Cash. So what you say to yourself is, I want to learn Torah, that's what I really want to do. But I know that I have to get the beast called myself to obey, and I know that he won't do it without an incentive, so I'll give him an incentive so that I'll be able to learn Torah. But ultimately, if I would say to you, if I could give you motivation without the money, would you take that? You'd say, In a, oh, of course, that's what I'm trying to get to. That's called that you have a lishma, there's a kernel, there's a granule, there's a seed of lishma already in your low lishma. And then, over the course of time, that seed grows. But the person that says, do you know what, I've got a great deal for you, what? You say, you can stay in Yeshiva for a couple of years, and then they'll pay you to go out and do campus care of $100,000 a year. Wow. Not bad, eh? <laughs> Starting job, and not only that, but you get cash, and you get the covet, because people think you're a rabbi. <laughs> and since you know so much more than they do, even though you know nothing, sounds fantastic. You can really pull it off. And you get to go back to your old secular life, but perfectly permitted. You get to <laughs> you get to chat to girls. You get to hang out in the place you want to hang out. It's the ideal job. <laughs> so then you say, "Yeah, I want to learn Torah." <laughs> so that's called Lo which doesn't get anywhere but Lo yeah. well, That Everything's true except that money salary part, right? Money or could be I don't know. For some people, it's the girls. For other people, it's the. No, I'm saying a hundred grand to be a kid rabbi. <laughs> Mike's playing right now, and he, just, he just wants to know whether he should continue learning. Depends on how well you fundraise. I really want to be a teacher. Okay, good. Anyway, by the way, um, if, if anyone's interested, now, there are jobs available. Um, good, 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 good. So now, Rabbi Shaw then goes on and he says, so therefore, since the whole point is what you want to do, you want to change the foundation, the core of the person, so, changing your conscious mind doesn't change anything. That's why, if you see with Bale Chuva, the quicker the change, the more like it is that they won't maintain it. People that come into the world of, of, of Frumkite and they transform overnight into penguins. Oh, like a dynamite. Like a dynamite change, like they change in one instant. So, those people those people land up not changing at all. What happens is, the change occurs on a, on a part of their being that's completely periphery. All they're doing is they're not changing at all. They're, all they're doing is they're putting on different clothes. So what happens is, when you put on different clothes, and then you go to a new environment, so you take off those clothes and you put on old clothes. It doesn't last. The, the quick changes do not last. If you want to make a change, you have to do a lasting change. A lasting change has to happen over a course of time. It can't happen immediately. Like a beard. It's like a beard. Yeah, but oh. take time. That sounds exactly like in line like what we've been learning this whole time. 
It's all about. It's all about gradual change. <laughs> and the reason why you're so excited that it's about gradual change is because when you think of gradual change, you think, great, now I don't have to change. When you hear the word gradual change, it means, oh, I can stay myself because I'll change so slowly, I won't change at all. When I say gradual change, I'm saying what we're saying now is consistent with everything we said until now. I, what we said previously was, in Mrs. Misha, we said, the Altar says, if you don't change in an instant, you won't change for, the entire li- for your entire life. Change is dramatic and it's momentary. A person has to whoosh, switch gears completely. And now, seemingly I'm saying the exact opposite. I'm saying that change is to be gradual, and has to be baby steps, and that's why this year that until now has been so hostile towards me, suddenly wants to embrace me again. They want to say, we love you, Rabbi. We love you. It's so nice to hear you, because now we don't have to change so much. Now we're much happier with our lives, because we can just keep on doing the same old stuff that we well, want to do. It makes sense what you're saying, actually, because a little change is actually massive. I don't Even think that's what he's saying. No? <laughs> What's the the gradual, tiny little change. What's the contradiction? Okay, so seemingly it's a contradiction. Seemingly it's a contradiction. Let's go back to our old world of, world of radical change where we still had fire inside of us. <laughs> remember, that, the, remember the notion of fire? Yes. I think we can still see some of the smoke, even though most of it has dissipated. So, previously what we said is that if a person doesn't go to an extreme, very extreme, if you don't push yourself to the extreme, you land up achieving nothing. And now we're saying you have to go baby steps. Seemingly, it's an open contradiction. Let's go back to the world of extremes. Historically speaking, Judaism has only survived because of extremism. It's only survived because people are willing to give up their lives for it. There was never ever a successful Jewish strain which preached mediocrity, which preached moderate behavior. Any Jewish strain which slowly but surely goes to the side of being moderate and being um, non-extreme becomes extinct very quickly. Becomes extinct, and the the Judaism which survives always has a level of extremism attached. Giving up my life for it. Giving I know extreme perhaps has a negative connotation. It doesn't work unless you give up your life for it. You can't have a life and do it on the side. It is life. It's not something on top of life. And any strain of Judaism which has professed, you can have a life. You can be a German in the street and a Jew in your home, so it doesn't last very long. You go from Moses Mendelssohn to Regina Jones. Regina Jones was the first ordained female rabbi to, to officiate in the Berlin, Berlin Temple of... Moses Mendelssohn. All Moses Mendelssohn did was he, he was completely, com- he was the founder of the reform movement. So now when you think of the reform movement, you think he probably had um, troops of dancers coming to perform on Shabbos <laughs> to the su- sounds of lyre while the Chadoidi. No, it's a very, very from man. He said, listen, we want to enhance our tefillah on Shabbos morning. Let's bring in organ. I rabbinically it's forbidden to play a musical instrument on Shabbos 
So we'll employ a non-Jew to do it. And the halacha is, if you ask a non-Jew to do something which is a mitzvah, it's permitted. It's called shvustah shvustah mitzvah. Asking a non-Jew is a rabbinical restriction. Playing a musical instrument is a rabbinical restriction. If it's for the sake of the mitzvah, it's permitted. Wow. So all he did was have an organ on the shul, in the shul on Shabbos. Oh, one other thing, you took out your, pul- your kumpulkan, which is Aramaic prayer, which is after Kriya Torah and Shabbos, which to me is an irrelevant prayer. It's about Babylon, it's not, it's not relevant. And how was it that from those two small acts that he did, um, I don't know how many years later, but there was the famous reform banquet, where if the a person... Hey? The Trefer banquet. Right, well, if you wanted to pledge your allegiance to the, from movement, uh, to the reform movement, from movement, reform, reform <laughs> movement. You had to, you had to eat treif, otherwise you'd be rejected. Mm-hmm. So how did you go from a person that was concerned about keeping the halacha to a complete and total rejection of anything which is mildly related to halacha? The answer is quite simple. He took a moderate approach to Judaism. He said, Judaism is not life. Life is made up of many different aspects and components and facets. One of them is Judaism. And you should be a Jew in your home. But when you go into the streets, then you can be a German. Because in the streets, that's not the place for Judaism. That's the place for Germanism. So be a German in the street and a Jew in your home. The minute you say there's something in life outside of Torah, so then you've lost your connection to Torah. And it may not happen immediately, but certainly in the course of one, two or three generations, no one will have any connection to the Torah. Yes, Michael. So, let's go back to extreme, right? No, 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 no it's just no, it's an ask. To, to reconcile the extreme with. Uh, I don't want to reconcile yet. Let, let's, just, let's, just, let's just experience what that means. What that means is, on a philosophical level, what it means is there's two ways of viewing Torah. Either you can view Torah as there's a world, I have a life, and the Torah was given to me as an assistance in guiding my life, which means that I've got many aspirations and desires in my life and all of them should be fulfilled but I must make sure that when I do so I don't transgress the boundaries that the Torah sets for me that's one way of perceiving the Torah that way of perceiving the Torah there's no need to be extreme you can be moderate because Torah is not life Torah is something on top of life it's a guidebook whereas when the Jews declared Nasev and Nishma they completely reorientated their direction in terms of life they said nice Nishma. Correct? Nice Nishma means we will do and then we'll find out what we have to do. One second. If you don't know what to do, how can you do? The answer is when I make a commitment to something and I say this is what I'm going to do, that defines my direction in life. And it says I will do anything to listen to you, Creator, and now I just have to find out what that thing is. So what happens is that declaration of acceptance defines the essence of myself. And I say, I am a doer that responds to the will of Hashem. Now, the problem is, I don't know what the will of Hashem is in the situation when I'm dealing with this person in business. So I listen to Yah, Nishma. I don't know what Hashem's will is when I'm walking down the street. So I listen to Yah. I don't know what Hashem's will is when I go to sleep at night and when I wake up in the morning. So I listen to Yah. Every minute and moment of my life becomes not only a 
connection, but a revelation of who I am. I am a doer of Hashem's will. That's what the Jewish people made themselves. If we doers of Hashem's will, so that means that's what we are. That's our essential existence. The minute we say, no, 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 no. I'm a career man. I'm an accountant. I'm a doctor. Or chas v'shalem. I'm a lawyer. Joking. And if I say any of these words, if I say any of these things, so then I've, I've, I've negated the essence of what the Jewish people are. The essence of the Jewish people are, we are here to do the will of Hashem. Now, I can be a lawyer and do the will of Hashem, but it's not that I'm a lawyer and I do the will of Hashem. It's that I can best express my particular talents in bringing down Hashem's presence through law. And someone else will do it through music. And someone else will do it through medicine. But it's not that I want to be a doctor and I'll keep aloha. It's that I want to do the rots and Hashem and I can do it best through medicine. Mm-hmm. I want to do the rots and Hashem, I can do it best through being an accountant. Uh, how? <laughs> <laughs> By being honest. By being honest. One thinks that that's impossible. Being an accountant and honest. Many, many major corporations will, will affirm that idea. Many major corporations in the past have collapsed will also affirm that idea. Uh, but, but you understand it's a very different. It's a very different. What what's what's the Scary cause point. and what's the effect? In other words, you say I want to become a doctor and I have to keep halacha, or I want to be I want to be a doctor and now I have to follow the w- w- will of Hashem, or I want to do the will of Hashem. Let me think of the best possible way I can do it. The starting point is different. So the one defines life as a fulfillment of Hashem's will and the other one defines life is life and Hashem's will is on the side that's what I mean by extremism extremism means that it's not extreme it's life you following me now once you see it that way so then of course it's going to lead to if someone comes and says but one second I'm going to take away the Torah from you so then you'll give up your life that's where the extremity comes in whereas if you have your life and someone says I'll take away the Torah part of your life you say okay I can live without it I don't have to have it I don't have to have it. The extremism comes when, if you take this away from me, I have nothing left. Because you've taken away my life, and I give up my life for it. But if you take it away, and I've still got a life, so then, so then you're right. So why, why be extreme? Okay, but so, um, so what, what Rabbi Salanta does, is he, he looks away of crafting a different sense of self, which responds on the deepest level to fulfilling the Ratz Hashem. And the purpose of Musa is to create that self, how could you